Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. I just got back from the Unshaken conference that Elisa Childers, Natasha Crane, and myself actually did out in Tucson, Arizona at Calvary Chapel, Tucson. Pastor Robert Furrow, great pastor out there. He was our host. We had about a thousand people come by on Saturday for the Unshaken conference. This is the third time we've done it. We're going to conduct the conference again uh, on November 4th in Nashville or near Asheville. All the details uh, are on the Unshaken Conference website. I think it's unshakenconference.com, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, you can find it if you if you Google it. As I say, myself, the great Elisa Childers, and the equally great Natasha Crane uh, put on this conference. And... Uh, I, I noticed during the Q&A and also just in meeting people there that there were several people there who had adult children who claimed to be trans who were making demands of their parents. You need to call me by my new pronouns. You need to call me by my new name. If you don't do certain things, I'm going to cut the relationship off. And this doesn't just happen with uh, people who claim to be trans, but there's sort of this new, almost, Elisa put it, it's like a cult where people will decide that they are going to cut their parents off from themselves and the parents' grandchildren. And they claim that the parents are toxic and you, we just can't have a relationship anymore. So what do you do in situations like this? What do you do when someone says to you, approve of me or else? What do you say? What do you do? Well, I'd like to address that today. In fact, I was referring people to podcasts in the past that we had covered some of this, but there isn't there wasn't one podcast I could point him to and say, here are some suggestions on how to deal with issues like this. We had several of them. So in this podcast today, I want to give some ideas, some questions you can ask that might help the situation. I can't guarantee any of this is going to work because when people are emotional, sometimes even good reason won't help them. But you being rational gives you a much better chance of success than you being emotional in situations like this. At least you will be able to plant seeds. So before we get to people who have adult children who are trying to cut them off. Let's talk about what you can say to young people, your own child, your own teenager, say, who comes to you and says, mom, dad, I'm trans. What can you say? What can you do? What should you say? What should you do? Now, we've talked a lot about Greg's, uh, Greg Kokel's books, Tactics, and his new book, Street Smarts, has some 
great stuff in it. And you know, Greg always will say things like, what do you mean by that? And how'd you come to that conclusion? Those are all great questions. And we'll incorporate some of those here in the discussion. But I want to go further than that. Uh, Greg has also said that if someone comes to you with a, uh, a difficult uh, issue that they ask your opinion on, you want to ask them, do you consider yourself a tolerant person? I think that's a, uh, that's a great question to ask because they're going to probably have to say yes. And then you can say, great, because if I have a opinion different from yours, you'll tolerate it then. In other words, you've defanged them by asking them if they're tolerant. If they get all ornery and intolerant toward you because of your opinion, then you can, of course, say, well, you just said you were tolerant. Why, 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 why would you be all angry with me now? In any event, if someone, say a, a child of yours comes to you, a teenager, and says, Mom, Dad, I'm trans. What should you do? What should you say? The first rule, I think, is don't freak out. If you freak out, the kid is, is the kid ever going to come to you again? Uh, no, they're going to say, wow, Mom, Dad, they, they really freaked out over this. I'm going to go to my friends with this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm going to get advice from from people who are not going to go ballistic on me. So don't freak out. Now, if you already have done this, maybe you can go back and apologize and say, hey, let's can we do a do-over here? I really want to understand where you're coming from and why, okay? So if they come to you and say, Mom, Dad, I'm trans, the first question should be, what do you mean by trans? Trading on Greg Kokel's question. What do you mean by that? What do you mean you're trans? And then, how did you come to that conclusion? Why do you think you're trans? What happened that made you feel this way? Do feelings always tell you the truth? Because I can tell you right now, my feelings don't always tell me the truth. I have feelings that make me want to lie, that make me want to be unfaithful, that make me want to just be selfish. So no, feelings don't always tell you the truth, quite obviously. By the way, the question I just mentioned uh, 30 seconds ago, what happened that made you feel this way? It's, uh, it's uh, Walt Heyer, who lived as a trans person for about eight years and became a Christian and then detransitioned and said, according to his website, sexchangeregret.com, that whenever he interviews people that claim to be trans, he always says there's some sort of traumatic event in their past. That's why he asked them, what made you feel this way? These are people that have genuine gender dysphoria, where they honestly believe they're the opposite sex. That's not necessarily the case with the so-called rapid onset gender dysphoria, where we've seen a, you know, a four or five thousand percent increase of young girls claiming to be boys, uh, teenagers. Uh, in American and uh, English society in the UK. Uh, but the people that actually have gender dysphoria, they normally have some sort of traumatic event. And so you ask them, what happened that made you feel this way? And then do feelings always tell you the truth? Another question you can ask is, do feelings ever change? Now, obviously your feelings have changed because a month ago you weren't trans, now you are. Do you think your feelings may change again? In fact, there's 
very good evidence that feelings do change. In fact, you could you could ask them this question. Have you ever considered that about 80 percent of people your age who have these feelings grow out of them by the time they're age 18? Yes, 80 percent of young people that have so-called gender dysphoria don't have it by the time they're 18. They grow out of it. We might want to mention to young people that puberty is one big transition and it's normal to feel odd when you're transitioning between an adolescent and an adult. It's normal to feel odd. You're going to have all sorts of different feelings because you are transitioning, not from one sex to another sex, but from a child to an adult. So it, it makes absolutely no sense to take hormone blockers or cross-sex hormones or to get surgery to correct a feeling that's probably going to correct itself very soon. You also might want to ask, how much have you read about the long-term effects of trying to change your sex? Most people are going to say nothing because they haven't read anything about it. And I document in the new updated book, Correct Not Politically Correct, about same-sex marriage and transgenderism, people that have tried to transition. And we've talked about that here on the program before. If you want to go further, get the book, Correct Not Politically Correct. It was just updated a few months ago with all the new information about the trans movement. Much of what I'm talking about here is in the book. So you need to avail yourself of that if you want to go further. So ask these questions. How much have you read about the long-term effects of doing this? Because the truth of the matter is, you cannot change your sex. You can change your mind. And any dysphoria that you have, any mismatch that you have between your mind and your body is corrected by changing your mind. You can change your mind. You can't change your biology. You can change what you think. You can't change your DNA. And it's a fool's errand to try and suggest to people they can change their DNA. And as I've mentioned before, the perfect uh, analog to this is anorexia. If your daughter claims she's overweight when she's really anorexic, you would not affirm her in that mind delusion. You would say, honey, I'm sorry, your brain, your mind is playing tricks on you. We have to get you nutrition because you're dangerously underweight, not overweight. You wouldn't suggest to her that liposuction is the answer. You wouldn't affirm her delusion. You would, out of love, try and uh, change her mind so she no longer has the delusion. You wouldn't give her, give her liposuction. Similarly, if she said she was a mermaid, you wouldn't take her off the coast and drop her in the ocean. You would say, honey, your mind is playing tricks on you. We need to get you mental health care. We need to get you psychiatry, counseling, prayer. You don't, in most cases, change your mind with surgery. You change it with psychiatry. And that's what psychiatrists, of course, would say. Dr. Paul McHugh at John Hopkins University pointed this, this analog out between gender dysphoria and anorexia. It is not in the best interest of the patient 
to affirm their delusion. Another question you can ask, ask a young person who comes to you and says, you know, I'm trans or I'm LGBTQ or whatever is, you could say this, if Jesus, who sacrificed himself for you, wanted you to live according to the biology he gave you, would you obey him? And see what they say. If they say no, it's not a head problem, it's a heart problem. I mean, if he really did sacrifice himself for you and wanted you to live a certain way, would you follow him? Would you obey him? I.e., if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? For many people, maybe a majority of people, the answer is no. Again, not a head problem, a heart problem. By the way, if you look at what good and evil are, one way to describe evil is a privation or a destruction of good. So when God creates something good, we do evil when we destroy or mutilate that good creation. When God creates a good body, say good sex organs, and we mutilate them or remove them, we are doing evil. We are destroying something good. Evil is anti-creation. Evil is like cancer. If you take all the cancer out of a good body, you got a better body. What happens if you take all the body out of the cancer? You got nothing. It doesn't exist. In other words, evil is a, is a privation. It's a parasite. It's a destruction of something already good. Let's not do that to ourselves. Let not destroy what is already good. So evil is a lack in a good thing. Evil is like rust in a car. If you take all the rust out of a car, you got a better car. What happens if you take all the car out of the rust? You got a Pinto. No, you got nothing. It doesn't exist. So we are doing evil when we destroy what is good. And as you know, you, you might want to counsel somebody who is suggesting that he or she follow their hearts that the truth of the matter is you don't follow your heart, you guard your heart. You guard your heart. As the proverb says, Proverbs 4.23, I think it's the second most important verse in the Bible right now. The first, of course, is anything having to do with the gospel. But the first is, that's the first. The second is, above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Above all else. Guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Don't follow your heart. Guard your heart. If you follow your heart without moral restraint, you're going to wind up addicted, broken, alone, and probably prematurely dead. You just can't follow every whim and every impulse you have. And you'll notice your heart changes. You'll notice your, your heart is conflicting. You've got two hearts on the same issue. You can't follow them both. You'll also notice your heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can understand it? It's all about you if you follow your heart. And if it's all about you all the time, you're never going to be able to hold down a stable relationship. So what do you do? That's what those are some questions you might ask a young person, your own, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> teenager that comes to you and says, mom, dad, I'm trans. Ask questions like that. But what do you do when it's your adult child at the Unshaken Conference Excuse me, there was a, uh, a woman who had a 43-year-old daughter who wanted to be called a man. What do you do in a situation like that? Well, I'll get to it in just a minute. We have some questions you ought to ask in that situation. 
But I want to mention, Correct Not Politically Correct is the book to get if you want to go further on this. Also, we've got a couple of uh, courses coming up. Train Your Brain starts next week. If you have a 6th to 8th grader and you want them in a logic course, and you ought to want them in a logic course because we don't teach logic anymore. In fact, in public school, we don't teach logic What we do in public school, instead of teaching kids how to think, we're teaching them what to feel. And that is dangerous. Yes, emotion may make life fun, but logic makes life safe. And if you don't teach your kids logic, they may may just buy into the propaganda of our culture. And that can be dangerous, not only to their spiritual health, but their physical health. So take the Train Your Brain course with Shanda Fulbright. And by the way, if you've never had a course in logic, any age can take the uh, self-paced course. It's It's a basic course in the essentials of logic, particularly all the fallacies we hear in our culture. So anybody can understand it. It's written for sixth to eighth grade. So any of you can take it no matter what age. But for the premium version where you're in the live Zooms, we just want middle school kids, you know, sixth to eighth grade or maybe fifth to ninth grade, somewhere in there. So young people can be a part of that. And then later in the month, I'm going to be your instructor in a brand new course, verse by verse through Galatians. Go to crossexamine.org. Check out the online courses there. Don't forget also Monday nights, we're going through the archaeological discoveries of the Bible, not every Monday night, but the next two Monday nights, I think October 2nd and 9th, I think we're we're talking about uh, live uh, at 7.30 p.m. from a location here near Charlotte, North Carolina. We're talking about archaeology. Actually, uh, on the 2nd, we're going to talk about the transgender issue, but then we're going to get back to our archaeology series on October 9th. And uh, if you want to be a part of that, you can just tune in. It's only going to be up on YouTube for a few days afterwards, so you may want to tune in live on Monday nights. Then on October 10th, down in Noonan, Georgia, I'll be part of the Grounded series at First Baptist Noonan. We will be talking about Correct Not Politically Correct. It's just south of Atlanta, Georgia. If you want to be a part of that, go to our website and you'll see the details there. Just look at Frank Turek calendar. Now let's look at an advanced view of what else is coming up. Uh, On uh, October 5th, I'll be at UNC Wilmington. That's Wilmington, North Carolina, for I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Then the following week, we'll all be at the Southern Evangelicals uh, Seminary Steadfast National Conference on Christian Apologetics in Rock Hill, South Carolina, just south of Charlotte. That's October 13th and 14th. You, Ross. Uh, who else is going to be there? Jay Richards, many other apologists and thinkers will be at that conference. Uh, go to ses.edu, look for conference, you'll see it there. And uh, then October 19th, Ohio State University, for I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Then three universities the week of October 23rd, Northwest Missouri State will be doing If God, Why Evil. Then Missouri Western State will be doing I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And then two nights later, Auburn University, they just had apparently a bunch of baptisms there. Auburn University, that will be the 26th of October And uh, then University of Cincinnati, November 2nd. And then the Unshaken Conference, November 4th. That's what it's looking like for the next 40 days or so. Check the cross-examined calendar. Go to crossexamined.org. Check out Frank Turek calendar there. You'll see all those events coming up. Hope you can be a part of any of them. If you're any in those, if you're in any of those locations, or you just want to see the live stream, because many of those events, particularly the college events 
and the events on Monday nights will be live streamed. All right, approve of me or else. What do you say? What do you do? Your adult child comes to you and says, you got to use my pronouns. You got to use my new name. If you don't do these things, I'm going to cut you off. What do you do? What do you say? Well, here are some questions you might ask. And this is what I told some people at the Unshaken conference. Do you think it's right to try and force people to violate their conscience? Most people are going to say, no, that wouldn't be right. Then you can say, thank you. Then please don't ask me to violate mine. You see, I love you and I have an obligation to tell you the truth. God does not want me to lie to you or anybody else. So out of love for you and love for God, I can't in good conscience call you by a pronoun that doesn't fit your biology. So ask, do you think it's right to force people to violate their conscience? They're going to say no. Then you can say, thank you. Then please don't ask me to violate mine. Another way you can put this. Should people be allowed to live their authentic selves? Well, man, that's that's like, that's the mantra of our culture. Yeah, of course, people should be allowed to live their authentic selves. That's what I'm doing. I'm living my authentic self. Although I'm biologically a man, I'm really a woman, and you have to respect that. I have the right to live my authentic self. Then you can say, me too? Do I get to, do I have the right to live my authentic self? What are they going to say then? They have to say yes. Well, my authentic self is I'm a Christian and I follow Jesus and I tell people the truth. So if you get to if you get to live your authentic self, don't I get to live my authentic self? Now, as Elisa Childers has put it, <laughs> she heard someone say, save me for my authentic self. She said, I wish I thought of that. The problem is with your authentic self, quite often your authentic self, my authentic self is evil. In fact, our authentic selves vary sometimes, don't they? My authentic self is to have a family. You know what my authentic, my other authentic self is? To play the field. Yeah, oh, my authentic self is to be monogamous, but it's also to be not monogamous because a lot of times I don't want to be monogamous. Don't you? According to your authentic self. Your impulse-driven self. Your flesh, as Paul would say. Of course, as Christians, we're supposed to crucify the flesh. My authentic self is to be responsible, but my authentic self is also to be impulsive. Actually, it's more authentic for me to be impulsive than responsible. My authentic self might want to be fit, but my more impulsive and my stronger self is to eat donuts. You can't do both. In other words, I have two hearts. I don't have one heart. I have two authentic selves, not just one authentic self. My authentic self might be to be financially responsible, but my more authentic self is to buy that shiny new thing every time I see it. I can't have it both ways. If I try to have it both ways, I'm going to be a yo-yo. I'm going to be all over the place. My life is going to be in shambles. My authentic self on, on, on some days might be to work hard. On most days, it might be to be lazy. My authentic self might be to be selfish. And it's also to be selfish. Yeah, usually it's to be selfish. <laughs> My authentic self is not to be selfless. It's to be selfish. And so is yours, if you're honest. 
My authentic self might be to do what God wants sometimes, but most of the time it's to do what I want. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 7, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. Who's going to save me from this body of death? Praise the name of Jesus, he says. Yeah. Try and live your authentic self and see how well that goes. Because most of the time, my authentic self is selfish. Most of the time, my authentic self is impulsive. Most of the time, my authentic self is to get what I want, when I want it, and who I want it with. My authentic self is to not to do the work of the Lord, but to do the work of whatever I want, to be all about me, to be a lot less about theology and more about meology. So, there's a warning when people say, oh yeah, I get to live my authentic self. Which authentic self, number one? And number two, is your authentic self really more about you than it is about God and other people? Yeah, it probably is, because you're fallen just like everybody else. Another question you can ask people, and this isn't just, you know, if an adult person says I'm LGBTQ or whatever, but it, 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 it could be with anyone that you think is going down the wrong road. What you can say to them is this, hey, if I were going down a road, the wrong road that would hurt me or others, would you love me enough to tell me? What does that imply? Just phrasing the question that way. Would you love me enough to tell me? It implies that love requires you and love demands of you that you seek what's best for the other person. Doesn't mean approval. We know love doesn't mean approval, although our culture thinks it means approval. Approve of me or else. If you love me, you'll approve of what I do. That's not true. You know that's not true. Every parent knows if you approve everything your 13-year-old wants to do, that's not loving. That's unloving. You're enabling evil if you do that. But if you ask, if I were going down the wrong road that would hurt me or others, would you love me enough to tell me? Of course I would. Thank you. Can I do that with you right now? Can I point out? Can I warn you? Can I come alongside you and mention something that maybe you might not see right now? That's what love does. In the passage that everybody reads at their wedding, but nobody obeys, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, love always protects. How do you protect people? You tell them the truth. Love always perseveres. It doesn't give up so easily and say, oh, gee, they're not going to like me if I don't approve of them. So uh, I'll just give up. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love rejoices in the truth. As Thomas Sowell said, when you want to help people, you tell them the truth. If you, when you want to help yourself, you tell them what they want to hear. Yeah, Jesus, you know, Jesus gave us one new command. Love one another as I have loved you. How did he love us? He sacrificed himself for us. So how do we love others? We sacrifice for them. But when we tell them what they want to hear, rather than, they, than what they need to hear, you know who we're sacrificing? We're sacrificing them for our benefit. The reason we don't tell them the truth is because we don't want to take the arrows they're going to shoot at us when they get mad at us because we are telling them the truth. 
So we're really sacrificing their well-being for our own when we tell them what they want to hear. When we tell them what they need to hear, we're sacrificing ourselves to help them. That's what love does. We'll withstand the arrows that they send our way. We'll withstand the consternation. We'll withstand the abuse they may hurl our way when we tactfully try and tell them the truth because we love them. We don't give up on people even when they hate us if we don't give up on them. Also, when they give you the my way or the highway thing, if you don't call me by such and such a name, our relationship's over. This is basically blackmail, extortion, whatever you want to call it. What you might want to say to them is, do healthy relationships require each person to defer to the other sometimes? What are they going to say? Well, they're going to have to say yes. Then you might say, why am I the only one expected to defer? Would it be right if I set all the rules in our relationship? If I took a my way or the highway approach? In other words, put the question on yourself. Make you out to be the bad guy. Would it be right if I set all the rules in our relationship? If I took a my way or the highway approach? The other person is going to say, no, that wouldn't be right. Then why are you doing that in our relationship? Why are you setting all the rules? Why did... Why do all of us have to defer and you don't? Why must the entire family change all of our beliefs and practices to accommodate you, but you need to change none of your beliefs or practices to accommodate us? Why is that? Now, I'm not guaranteeing you any of this is going to work especially when people are emotional rather than rational. But again, you being rational gives you a much better chance of success than you being emotional. At least you will plant some seeds and you will be loving people by telling them the truth, by asking the right questions. It's much easier to ask questions to make a point than it is just to make statements because statements can be resisted. Questions need to be answered. And so if you ask the right questions in the right way with the right tone, you might be able to get people to recognize that their position doesn't hold up. At least I think you'll have a better chance of doing that than if you just make statements. So ask these questions we've talked about here in this podcast. And uh, in a future show, I'll come back and talk more about questions you can ask your woke boss. Uh, We've already done this in a previous podcast, but it's buried in a, I don't even know if it's called top 10 questions to ask your woke boss. Uh, It's a, It might be within another podcast. I want to make these as clear as possible for reference moving forward in the future. I can recommend, hey, we covered this in a previous podcast. Go to this one. This podcast is called Approve of Me or Else. What do you say? So this is dealing more with personal relationships, questions you should ask of people who are trying to get you to adhere to whatever new belief system they have, but they don't have to budge an inch. That's what these questions are designed to do. And in a future show, we'll do the questions you can ask your woke boss. All right, friends, great being with you. Check the calendar out. 
not only for where we're going to be coming up, but where you can see the live stream if you'd like to see it. You can also join our cross-examined app and get a notification whenever we go live. Uh, you can also join the cross-examined community for a safe place to interact with people without being trolled, without being doxxed. Check it all out on the website, crossexamined.org. And Lord willing, we will see you here. Oh, you know who's coming up next week? Later this week. Phil Robertson, the duck commander himself. In fact, we're going to probably drop that podcast a little bit earlier, probably on Thursday night this week, because his new movie, The Blind, which is about his life, is coming out. It's a fabulous movie. It's not a Christian movie. It's a movie with a Christian worldview. I think you're going to be inspired by it. It's called The Blind. It's in theaters this weekend. And we're going to have Phil and his son Al on on the next podcast. So keep an eye out for that later this week. And Lord willing, I'll see you here then. God bless.